Welcome to the show. My name is Danny Colapietro. Danny Cola for short. Today's episode is very special. Anytime I get a chance to pick the brain of another strength and conditioning specialist who's developed workshops and developed programs and is teaching a bunch of other coaches, I get excited because that's where I eventually I see myself. I see myself putting on workshops, teaching people these methods, and picking the brain of a super specialist is right up my alley. And today's episode is with Karsten Jensen of Yes to Strength. Karsten's company is called Yes to Strength, and we talk a little bit about the flexible periodization method, which is a workout program or training program that Karsten has developed around body, mind, and spirit, which is uh, aligned with my values. I think that's where I'm, I know that's where I'm headed with my wellness journey, and that's talking about the the body, how does the body trigger the mind and the hormones, and how do those equate to thoughts and feelings and essentially how can we choose the way we think and feel about certain situations so that we could act accordingly and um, anybody who's interested in spiritual growth and fitness and and wellness um, we want to evolve and this this podcast is an example of networking evolving learning new information and sharing the the concepts that people are doing all around the world so if you like what you hear on today's podcast episode, make sure to follow Karsten Jensen on Instagram at yes to strength. Check out yes to strength.com for the flexible periodization method. And this is dedicated to holistic, individualized, periodized training programs. And that's very interesting to me. Um, everyone's an individual and there's a way to go about it for every single person. Enjoy the show, everybody. Karsten Jensen, yes to strength. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. Anytime I could pick the brain of another movement specialist, I consider it a treat. So thanks for coming on, man. You're welcome, Danny. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I know we got to, uh, we, we discussed about six months back about uh, scheduling a time, and I'm glad that we could set it up and finally start to chat. So, um, yeah. Karsten, uh, talk to me a little bit about your background, how you got into uh, the work that you're doing. Yes, it's a, I've been a strength coach for 26 years now. So my, my story basically goes back to when I think I was maybe seven or nine when I started playing tennis. And I, I quickly got the, you know, the feeling I wanted to become really, really good. I wanted to be Bjorn Borg. You guys familiar, familiar with Bjorn Borg? The tennis player? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not. No, okay. So he was very, very famous tennis player, late 70s or early 80s. And um, I really, really practiced a lot um, uh, of tennis throughout my teenage years. And what I realized later was that that was really driven by that question you probably heard before. Who are we really? What are we capable of? And physically. And then I started in university. And in uh, the second year, we had track and field. And I was extremely slow. My first recorded 100 meters was 14.28 seconds. So if you know 100 meter times, that's almost a 200 meter time for somebody, a, mm-hmm. one, a 150. And I started to become interested in what does it take to make a, hair, a tortoise into a hare, at least a fast, faster tortoise. So basically that same question, who are we and what are we capable of that you know I, I explored from a physical point of view. I love those. I love those two questions. It's very philosophical because it can go in so many different directions. Yeah. And you know, 
uh, as movement specialists, we take this to the physical realm and what we're capable of doing physically and how much we can actually exert power and relate that to skill, longevity, rest, recovery, you know, um, and, and I think those physical attributes, they tie into mental aspects, Absolutely. which, you know, shape us and, and give us character. And uh, all in all, I think that ties into something greater of something, uh, you know, of a, of a bigger connection, if you will. Absolutely. And, and on, on that note, one of the most uh, groundbreaking, life-changing books for me was a book called The Field by Lynn McTaggart. Have you, have you heard of it? No, I have not. We can link to it in the show notes. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, if you give me the information, we can definitely link to it. I, I love, you know, I, anytime somebody recommends a book, I, I take it to heart because, of, you know, yes. it's important. It, anyway, it, go ahead. Yeah, well, she basically, uh, by interviewing quantum physicists over like three to four decades, uh, she describes the characteristics of something called the zero point field, which is uh, the backdrop of the universe. Uh, if you, um, the mind of God, some people call it more. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm all in on this. Keep, you, keep going on that. You, yeah. You've heard about it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so really it's the, the, the whole idea that, you know, we are we're really mental beings with a physical experience that the mental is, the mental is the source, the, the energetic, the mental component is the source and the physical is the expression. So that's why we've started to work more in the last few years, more and more uh, on that side. And we have actually have, actually have a program that's called a mind-body specialist program, where it teaches a lot of very simple, straightforward techniques to make the most of what you have at any one time. Wow, that's amazing. I'm gonna have to uh, I'm gonna have to delve in a little bit deeper into that program because yes. you know it's something it's something as I've, I've as I've grown in my career to uh, you know go on journeys with people yeah. as far as their wellness and overall uh, you know well being, and that yeah. takes a a connection on another level. You know, it, the, you can't just do that on a basic. All right, we're gonna do a chest and back day or a push pull day. It's it's a little it's a little deeper of a connection. And yes. uh, I think as a practitioner or a trainer that, you know, I've been growing in my last 13 years, I think it's something that um, I need to uh, I need to dig deeper in. Hence why I'm, I'm having conversations with gentlemen like yourself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And it's interesting, Danny, because in, I think the strength and conditioning and especially maybe the strength and conditioning profession, you know, the training that we have is, is very mechanical. It's it's biomechanics. That's what we learn that lever mm-hmm. arms, levers, fast twitch fibers, slow twitch fibers, when then we gradually learn the, the mental side as we go along in many cases. I think maybe I, I teach personal trainers and I know strength coaches and I'm, you, I see myself mostly as a strength coach. Maybe personal trainers are, are better at the interpersonal skills sometimes than strength coaches. That's obviously a very broad generalization, but they have they have more one-on-one time. And many of the ones that come to my workshops, they say that many clients, they really come mostly to talk. I don't know if you've experienced that with, with some of the people sure, that you work sure. with. Yeah. So if it's incredibly important anyway. Incredibly important. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um- you know, whether it's a one-on-one, whether it's a small group, whether you're coaching an entire team, whether it's, you know, bigger groups, um, I think that, you know, each one is its own entity. And uh, individually, it's 
you know you have to you have to learn to navigate uh each of those entities as a whole like the, working one-on-one is very different than working with you know 25 people and learning yeah. to break those things down um and learn to teach in a certain way that everyone can digest and then learning to teach in a way where that single person could digest and and how are you going to figure out a way to teach it so that specific person understands it can digest it the physical part the mental part the uh you know the everything you know what i'm saying yeah it's uh it i don't know i don't know that i've done a ton of reading on that all of that and my development in that part of the game of coaching has come from experience, you know, and learning how to deal with different people, different ages, different settings, and, you know, just kind of gathering my people skills over the course of my life. You know, I'm 30 years old and, you know, you inc- you encounter people in different scenarios, different ages. And as a coach, you know, I'm work with, I work with everybody. Yeah. As a teacher, I work with everybody. You know, and you got to learn to understand the ins and outs of the certain people in a certain part of life that they're in, you know? Yeah, yeah. I can I can relate a little bit to your, your thoughts there. Uh, one of the things I learned in university and that I have refined ever since is four steps of instructing exercises. And as you go through these four steps, you get an idea of how people learn uh, as you talk about. So it begins with basically explaining the purpose of the exercise and related to the client's goal. Then you uh, demonstrate the exercise without talking. And the ones who either they want to do it after that phase or they, they basically they do it without you saying anything, those are the, the visual learners. I've had mostly top athletes be in that, in that realm. Mm-hmm. Then you uh, explain the execution of the exercise as you show it one more time. And then... I have sometimes after that, I'll have athletes or clients say, do you mean that? And then they rephrase what I said in a way that makes sense to them. They are, they're referred to as auditory learners. And uh-huh. at the end of that, you say to the client, would you like to try? And now they get at it. And if they still don't do it correctly and you have to manually correct them and, and sometimes maybe do that repeatedly, then they, you can you can categorize them as kinesthetic learners. So that, that four-step process is all basically an assessment of learning style also. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And it's very simple, right? Yeah. Just uh, uh, an exercise like that, and you can use any exercise. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking like physical exercise in that one unique exercise. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it shows the instructor or the, the trainer, the coach, teacher, how best that the, the person is going to learn you know it's, it's interesting because i i come from a, a background also of teaching in a high school yeah. and they weigh they weigh heavily on you know uh logic and mathematical reasoning as far as like assessments yeah but it just so happens uh people learn you know uh higher percentages auditory visually kinesthetically rather than uh, this logical mathematical reasoning type method of of teaching. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, you know we, we we rely heavily on the you know the test taking, cognitive reading, recall. You know we re- we we rely a, a heavily on this data, and it, it you know kids kind of look at it just because they may not excel so much in that part of you know 
academics or learning or whatever, they classify themselves as lower learners. And that may not be true. They might be kinesthetic geniuses. There are so many people that learn so well in other formats that it's, it's you know, not the best suitable for each individual, no. especially in, in the school system. It's, it's, uh, it's not the best place, unfortunately, to learn and grow, you know, and that's, you know, where our future basically that's that's incredibly important to remember if you're a parent that if your child gets not good grades it could be it's just they they learn in a different way my best buddy from denmark his mom is um she's like a learning expert so she goes to schools to teach teachers how to teach the kids and uh, my best buddy's daughter she didn't do very well in school in the the earliest grades until uh his mom found out that for her to learn, she had to be walking as she's reading, and she had to put like a, a transparent green paper over the pages. Mm. And you I mean you, who, how would you find out unless you unless that's your expertise area? Yeah, there's also this great. I think it's an Einstein quote, and I, I'm paraphrasing that: if you judge a fish by its ability to fly, you would forever think it's stupid. Yeah, I was definitely thinking of that exact quote uh, when you were describing that scenario. Yeah, it's I mean, it's it's true. We all have our different strengths and, and good coaches, good trainers, good teachers. Uh, they bring out the best in, in, in each individual and they figure out a way to uh, get the individual excited about learning the material or whatever that that may be. So you said you were a tennis player and you, you began to become fascinated on what we can do. Yeah. Um, and then how did, how did that take you into uh, becoming a movement specialist? And, well, it did. Uh, at the end of what probably corresponds to high school, so when I was about 18 or 19, I spent a year basically just practicing and playing tournaments to see how good I could get. And I, I mm-hmm. got a lot better during practice, but not so much better when I played games. So I, it, it kind of sort of – Ended at a disappointment at the time, but an important learning, you know, as I, as I look back. Sure. But then I, um, I started a university, at first math and physics, uh, which are two, like a two-year intro type of thing. And I realized I didn't want to spend my, the rest of my life in a laboratory. And I, it was actually the night we graduated. I thought, well, okay, what do you really like doing? Well, I, I like exercise. So it was a Friday, and uh, I think the deadline for applying for the next year was Tuesday. So I applied to get into exercise physiology, and uh, I got in, having no idea what I wanted to do with it. And then that led that, that, that to that uh, experience with the hare and the tortoise that I mentioned earlier. And, mm-hmm. and it was 1991, 1992. I, I remember reading one of Tula Bomba's books, and suddenly one day, you know, I want to be a strength coach. And uh, I had uh, three or four really good jobs while I was in university, and I got hired by the fir- as the first full-time strength coach in the Danish Sports Institution a month after I graduated, uh, after a, wow. a combination of incredibly fortunate circumstances and also my willingness to initially basically work for very low pace to get my foot in the door. Sure. Yeah. yeah, it's something that people have to do to consider getting ahead, yeah. you know, find find ways to get into the field. Yeah. You know, um, you expressed that you obviously you do uh, workshops for other trainers. Yeah. Um, when did when did you realize you had a knack for teaching? 
Like it's one thing to get into yeah. physical exercise and kinesiology, but like, how did you, like, did you always have a knack for, for, you know, breaking down information at a digestible rate so that people could understand and building relationships? Like, how did you get involved? I in think that? the way, I, the way I can answer it, I was actually, I was also a tennis teacher while I was a teenager. So my first coaching oh. job, I was 13. I was the assistant tennis coach for some adults. Um, I think the best way I can say it, 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 I've never felt it was difficult to be a teacher, and I've always it's in your I've blood. always worked on getting better. I always wanted to work on getting better. And obviously, I've gotten better since I started, and I think I'm still getting better. But it's it's always oh, felt sure. natural, felt natural to me. Yeah, definitely. I'm in the same boat. It's uh, it's in our blood. I when when people say, you know, you know, make comments on my class or you know whatever it is or. You know, I tell them it's in my blood. Yeah. It's when I I feel the most in flow, yeah. and when I'm when I hit those flow state patterns, uh, I'm just I'm out of my body, and I'm just doing what I feel like I'm supposed to be doing. Yes, um, I have a, I have an interest in constantly picking the brains of guys like you and learning about different ways that we can challenge our movement, yeah. uh, different ways that we can break down teaching things so they are you know in fact more digestible for the individual. Yeah, and uh, I just think that has a really positive effect and ripple in the future you know like it makes a good impact on one person who's got influence over a handful of other people and that just that just feels good yes. you know what I'm saying? one of the as far as this teaching the way to teach one of the things i enjoy the most is like it's called the matter over mind protocol which is a i mean it sounds like you do other things than just teaching exercise is that correct um i coach soccer, soccer. Yeah, I coach soccer. Uh, I, I do all the strength and conditioning, like off-season programs. I do one-on-one training. Uh, I do, you know, group training. Uh, and, yeah, that's it. I, you know, I run, my, I run my own personal brand. I'm interested in, you know, kettlebell flows. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I teach, I teach through the podcast. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like these are all the different modalities that I can kind of just – add value and in, in a fun way, something that makes me feel like I'm challenged and I could be creative and express myself. But yeah, it's all the same type, whether I'm teaching through classes, I'm teaching uh, on the soccer field, I'm teaching through the podcast. But yeah, it's always something like that. One of the most influential books I read, actually when I was a teenager, is a book by Timothy Galway. Have you ever come across that? Uh, no, no I you not. should look him up in a game of skiing, in a game of tennis. One of the things I learned from him was basically to instruct with questions rather than commands, mm. so to speak. And when you when you mm. know how to ask the right questions, you bring out in in the client, you know, skills and knowledge they they already have. Usually, sometimes to introduce breathing. So I just finished up a, a trunk training program where breathing, breathing is uh, the first stage. And one of the very first breathing exercises, I have people stand in front of a mirror and ask them, you know, can you breathe so your collarbones come up? Can you breathe so your chest expands? And, you know, a variety of, of questions. And it really takes the pressure out of them because there, there's no right or wrong. It's just basically checking out to see what, what they can do. And um, I must admit that the longer I do this, the more I enjoy trying to f- find the just the question that brings out into them what they already have instead of me telling them what to do. Oh, wow. That is such a good perspective. Just to, to think about it from that sense. Like, cause I, I you know I run into trouble 
when you know i get too passionate and i try to like beat over the head the person like the message that i'm trying to send yeah. sometimes yeah. you know and uh it's interesting when you put it you know find the right question so that they can you know, understand what they already have inside of them. I think that's huge because, you know, as a teacher, as an influencer or whatever, you see the potential that person has, but it's getting them to understand the potential. Yes. So that's very they can, interesting. They can see I love what that. they do. Yeah. I've also gotten, I think it kind of knew it already, but it was one of the last clients I, I worked with where she was, yeah, she she's never trained before. And she, she hired me to help her pass the, the personal trainer certification we have up here and I realized mm -hmm. even though it's not fully true I think that's how a trainer should see it is that if the client doesn't get it you haven't said it in the right way and it, yeah. because it just makes a, yeah. makes it us as trainers patient and it, it's a reminder it's really on us we have to just think of another way of asking another question another exercise uh, another modality whatever Sure. You know, there's a lot of ego in fitness and just like the, the title of personal trainer, you know, especially like a young kid and I trust, dude, I'm the first one to say I've been there, you know, as an 18 year old, 19 year old with a title of personal trainer, it's like an ego thing. It's, it's an identification thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and it almost sometimes can make you into this mindset or put you into this mindset of, I know it all. And, you know, no one can kind of tell me what to do. It's a very uh, immature way of thinking. Yeah. How do you go about teaching younger trainers um, stay away from that style of thinking so that you can grow to be the best trainer, coach possible? One of the things uh, I say when I teach the, the workshop for people who want to teach both workshop for people who want to be trainers and I teach continuing education workshops. I say that if you ever hear yourself say, I want you to, that's a red flag because that means that that ego is that's one of the clearest to me indications that the ego is is uh, on the table or, or how to say it because it's not really what we want it's uh, it's about what's good for the client that uh, i think mm. that's uh, that's number yeah. one that's number one yeah beyond totally. that i think it's focusing on, on understanding that to the extent the client gets results that's the extent that we're successful so it's really about focusing totally. on the client. That's fortunately, totally. that's fairly, that's um, fairly easy for me to, I have ego in some parts of my life, but not, not there. Yeah. You know, it's something that we got to balance out completely. Like the ego sometimes, you know, it, it need, we need to have the ego or else, you know, your flexible periodization method never would get, you know, accomplished yeah. or done. You know, it, it, it provides purpose, but also we have to learn to, you know, keep it in check and understand when, you know, uh, the ego's taken over and it's something personal. And then, you know, you get too heightened state of aware about things when, you know, the ego's in, involved. Uh, you can get defensive and, and, and you know, overpassionate yeah. about things. I know I've been there. So, like, it's something to always kind of keep in check and keep in question and, and trying to understand the moment for what it is and, and, and to grow constantly, yeah. I guess. Anyway, Carson. Uh, I want to go over this uh, flexible yes. periodization method that you have. Um, it's, you know, body, mind, spirit. These are, I mean, you're speaking my language here. Uh, I always love to understand like uh, a deeper meaning behind people's uh, periodization methods and how they, they pair 
or combine these three things of you know body mind spirit and what it means in their program and, and how they go about teaching it so let's start with the first pillar of this program well yeah. first actually let's let's peel it back a little bit more um how did you go about developing such uh so the uh, the, the flexible method. periodization method originally was it was based, it's program periodization and program design and that's one of our five programs right now whereas the mind body is is another one of them and it came about because the athlete I worked with in the Danish sports institution, they had very varied competitive schedules. For example, I worked with a professional tennis player who was in Denmark and maybe at the most two weeks at a time. I had to work with him and he was close to 30 at the time. So more towards the end of his career than in the beginning. All of the athletes I worked with were 16. And you know the coach would say, you know, you're going to train for the next six months before you get you out again. So super varied sports, super varied competitive schedules. And uh, I studied everything I could get my hand on at the time. And I had a master's degree in exercise physiology at the time. But whatever books I read, it just didn't answer all the questions that I had when I then, you know, put the book down and, and tried to create a training program. And and that was really the beginning of it, and that's why we call it flexible because it's it's a method where you you adjust on different stages of eleven steps in program design. You make choices that fits the the client's sport and their competitive schedule, especially. So we, the, the 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 tagline mm. is "Don't fit the client to the system; fit the system to the client." So that that's what it's meant to be. I mean. Beyond that, there's maybe about seven hundred yeah, pages and, and manuals, and with a lot of a lot of technicalities. But that's that's the overall, you know, say philosophy, and, and why it was created that way. I can give you another, another. Yeah, it makes uh, a lot of sense. Well, it doesn't really tell you what it is, but it tells you what it's supposed to do. Uh, I had um, a national level shot putter attend uh, one of our workshops maybe seven years ago. And he showed me his strength program. And I said, uh, did your coach receive training from Charles Poliquin? And he said, yes. So I could see that that was a Charles Poliquin style program, more so than it was a shot putter program. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that if, if the programs are truly made for the client, if we as a trainer have 10 different clients and we put our programs up on a table on a, on a row, and bring someone in who doesn't know you, they should not see that the programs are made by the same trainer because the program should have the client's signature not your signature. I, I don't know if you could ever run an experiment like that, but that's, a, that's basically an idea of trying to communicate what is an individualized training program. Yeah, that's interesting. It's an interesting method. Um, so what type of athletes are you currently training and uh like what level are you training t typically all I'm, national I'm level training last clientele? one of the last clients i trained with was from the danish national volleyball team at the same time i, I trained that lady who wanted to become a, a, a personal trainer so if someone wants to do the work i i'd like to work with them my specialty like you say is is moving better so if someone wants to gain you know whatever amount of pound of muscle i could do that training wise but i have to refer them out for the nutrition side of it 
I don't have a whole lot of training in that. I have some, but I ever only practice it on myself. Okay. Yeah, but most by now, uh, yeah, I teach workshops right. more than probably forty-five weekends a year. We have nineteen or twenty-one day one-day trainings, wow. so I I don't have time to work with more than one or two at a time. Interesting. And you're always I, we up have in Canada. been in Brazil and in, in Europe also teaching, but we, we I live in Toronto or in Mississauga outside Toronto. So, uh, so a lot of it is um, yeah is in the, what's called the Greater Toronto area. Yeah. Interesting. You uh, have one time but we actually can't do that legally. I don't know if you know that. I would have to lie at the border yeah, or get a five thousand oh, really? dollar visa. Interesting. That's what we. You know, so you can't come. You can't come do a workshop well, in the states. Not, How does that work? They, um, we've, I had a buddy who uh, who tried. He got turned back at the border because he said, "I'm." They, some people have booked him to come down. Really? He teaches really good at teaching kickboxing. He got turned back at the border. We, your, mm-hmm. the thought process is that that the Canadians take take work away from the Americans. On the other hand, Canada allows Americans in to work for five days and bring back whatever amount of money that that's made yeah, that actually hmm. I may have a possibility because I have a Danish passport so if if you know it ever comes up I would I would basically check with a Danish embassy it could it could be it could be different yeah it totally. be different. I know uh, are you familiar with Stuart um, McGill you should definitely look him up. He's one of the best with uh, with back training. So he he gets booked so much. So he actually he got a, a lawyer to help him out with with a visa. But he said it was a five thousand dollar thing. Yeah. Wow. No way. Interesting. Well, um, I got to come up to Toronto at some point and uh, take one of your workshops. I just did a podcast with Drew Miller. He's a kettlebell I specialist am, outside yeah, of Toronto. I'm, I'm Are you familiar, familiar with, with the him? gym where he works out of also? I think we met once or twice. Yeah. Yeah, super nice guy, super knowledgeable. Um, yeah, I got to come out and take one of your one of your workshops and just kind of connect with people up in Canada. I love Toronto. It's beautiful. Um, yeah. But going back to Stuart McGill, I'm looking, I'm looking at yeah. his information right now. Um, when you talk about yeah. you being a movement specialist, talk a little bit about how spine analysis, spinal structure, uh, kind of translates with overall wellness and health. The way it probably the way it transfers. One of the things that comes to mind first is that uh, the things is called a spinal pump, which I've ever only found one reference for, and it's a phenomenon that when you inhale due to first and foremost the pull of the diaphragm in the in the lumbar vertebrae this the curves of the spine disappear mm-hmm. and then when you and that pumps fluid cerebrospinal fluid into the brain and then when you exhale the curves of the spine reappear and that pumps fluid away from the um, from the brain that that's the number one thing i think of when i think spine and wellness then there's obviously all the thing about back injury and you know, um, having muscular endurance, holding a, a back bridge for three minutes reduces your risk of back pain. One of the things we learn in university. Beyond that, my my expertise area is mostly mm. help helping people prevent getting pain, 
not not treating people with treating people with pain. Mm-hmm. But I worked a lot with, uh, and then we say that's one of the things McGill is, is most famous for, with his uh, the so-called big three exercises: the bird dog, the side plank, and the curl up. And we've gotten a lot of really cool experience with uh, with instructing it, also and with with cues and troubleshooting techniques that are not in his books. And um, we, I, I meet him sometimes, and he's always very. I, I share those things with him, and he's always very appreciative of it. So he's a he's a great man. Interesting. So those three exercises uh, you said: bird dog, side plank, and curl up. Is, and that's that's really useful for even if you're not a trainer. That's good to know. They try to find out what's the minimum amount of core exercises that someone should do in order to minimize the risk of back pain due to lack of muscular endurance. And that's those three. That's those they, he calls it the effective minimum. And what we've done in our new uh, trunk program, we've uh, we've combined them. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, right? They those do. Those exercises yeah. all complement one do. another. And they... they the, the criteria for selecting them is a high rate of muscle activation to low disc compression. Hmm. High rate of muscle yeah. muscle activation with low disc compression. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Good balance, obviously, right? It's not too much wear and tear. Uh, and then, you know, obviously these mishaps happen because of imbalances. And usually a lot of times it's coming from, you know, your, your, your hip girdle, lower yeah. back um you know yeah, around the yeah. midsection he talks and, and, he talks a lot about uh, habits he talks a lot about spinal hygiene so for example he um, he'll sometimes say that let's say someone bend over and you know pick up a big flower pot or something and they blow the back out and he says that's not when it happened mm-hmm. that's just basically you know when the the stonemason hits 697 times right it's just right yeah it's, it's been, been brewing, brewing up. up. It's been brewing yeah, up yeah. a while. So for a while. On the, right. on, if you read, you read his books, he'll talk about spinal hygiene, which is it's a lot about keeping the spine close to neutral during during daily uh, daily movements. And it's, and this is also hmm. should be said that this is in context of people who who has issues already, and when if they bend or flex or rotate, those issues will get magnified. Yeah. Totally. Now, uh, when you uh, create your your movement uh, workouts or your workout schedule yeah. for yourself or for people, um, how often how often are you adding transverse exercises or transverse plane exercises into those? It, de- it uh, depends first regimen. and foremost on what they're training for. So, for example, if they're training for the volleyball player, uh, I work with hockey uh, a whole lot. Um, but I actually I'm gradually mm-hmm. thinking that everybody should do it, but not necessarily in the in the same order. Even even running, and I learned this from Vern Gambetta a long time ago. And when he said it, it was kind of like, oh wow, I didn't think about that. Running is also a transversal plane with you know with the hip rotation during the stride, the the lower back rotation. So every everybody in mm-hmm. in you can say in the right proportion to their their skill level and their goal. Yeah, totally. I, that, I mean, that's, I'm glad to hear you say that. Cause I think, you know, 
in everyday life yeah. we're moving in the transverse plane so our movements in in the gym or when we're exercising should mimic somewhat the, the style of movement Absolutely. patterns that we do everyday and life I, now as you know? we speak about it i recall yeah. i have a lot of training from the czech institute back when i lived in denmark and he, you know i don't know if you know but he he has he has this thing he calls primal patterns squat bending lunging pushing pulling and twisting and he says twisting is the most important one because it happens like you say in all daily movements like running walking jogging throwing reaching mm-hmm. so it, yeah check, you're talking yeah. about the paul check right yeah i'm a, i'm a huge fan of paul check um did you go through all three of his uh yeah i have that that's, that's coach, one i uh, when i completed and then program? i stopped halfway through the czech practitioner because it, from there on, it was a lot about rehab, and that was that okay. was not my intention to to learn about rehab. But interesting. So, talk to me a little bit about your experience through the the first uh, program that you went through with Paul Check, because you know I, I tell everybody that's interested in health and fitness about Paul Check and his lessons, and you know his podcasts, his books, and just the way he puts out information. It's so so awesome you know it's very yeah. thought-provoking and uh introspective and, you know what i'm saying so what what has been your experience like uh how was the program well, they, to your really, um, really good you know in your really, perspective really, and really what did good. you learn from um, it it has formed that i took it between 2001 and 2007 and it formed a really important basis for, uh, for my um, for my career now i'm know i have i have trunk training a lot on my mind right now so one of the things i learned was uh, the different woodchop variations and i would talk about a daily movement mm-hmm. woodchop is is the the exercise where i've had the most consistent feedback from athletes that help them basically hit harder in rotational type sports throw further mm-hmm. when they they learn the variation where you know the the force is generated from the ground up and they, they are taught to use the legs um, one of the things that have also been on my mm-hmm. mind, lady, he he was very influenced by, in terms of how to engage the trunk, uh, by the New Zealand physiotherapist called Richardson and Joel and Mackenzie and and all those. He talked a lot about engaging the TBA uh, back then, whereas whereas um, Stuart McGill, who I've also learned a lot from, his approach basically is, is if you do that and you do that only. Uh, you're not as stable as if you brace, which is a, a contraction of all three layers of the abdominal wall at the same time. And uh, one of the, mm-hmm. the things that I wanted mm-hmm. to do in our news program, I want to basically find out, well, well, where is the place for each of these two techniques? And, and drawing in the abdominal wall to engage the TBA, it's really described as a neuromuscular retraining technique. So something you do really early on but when you want to get strong, it's not the strongest way of engaging your abs. And it's, it's with, with our method, we do something called French press diaphragmatic breathing, which is also a contraction of all layers of the abdominal wall at the same time. But, but what we do, and this is a pretty, pretty cool um, strategy, we basically use abdominal drawing in as a rest between more intense abdominal contractions. Okay, so if you... Hmm. We so like you pair it in the, with the exercise yes. for example uh, or how does that work uh, one of the things that 
it's incredibly useful for McGill's work is that if you work your trunk stabilizers with isometric contractions, these contractions shouldn't be more than seven or eight seconds long because after that, blood is kept out of the muscle and with the blood also oxygen. And since the stabilizers are type one fibers that need oxygen, if you keep oxygen out of the muscle, basically the fast twitch fibers that are not the real stabilizers will take over. And that's why when we do things like curl up, for example, which is an isometric contraction, and we do it for, for one exhalation, then you relax down, do one uh, abdominal draw in and do another curl up. That's also, um, it's also the cluster principle, mm-hmm. basically breaking the set down to get even more quality out of uh, individual contractions. Yeah. Interesting. So like, what about like holding a plank? You're saying after seven seconds, there's no need because of the blood. Well, what, muscle, what happens uh, is that it's, it's the, that, that the, the fast switch fiber. So in, in the trunk, you have the local stabilizers, the stabilizers that are really close to the spine, included in the transversus abdominis. You have global stabilizers uh-huh. that are further away from the spine, uh, external obliques and rectus abdominis and internal obliques, uh, part of them. And the global stabilizers will gradually take over if you hold a plank for for more than than seven than seven seconds. Doesn't mean that seven seconds is enough, but it means you have to break it up and allow blood into the muscle. So one thing we do sometimes is that we basically turn from a side plank on one side to a front plank to a side plank on the other side, so we don't challenge the yeah every 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 press cycle really. So, so we don't have people count. We say hold it for one deep breath, and that that becomes approximately that time frame. Interesting. Okay, I like that. Give me one yeah. second. I'm just uh, plugging into my uh, my charger to my computer. Um, okay, I I like this. I like this. It's an it's an interesting dynamic that I have to, uh, you know, look up a little bit more and understand a little bit more, but. Uh, Something I'll have to take into consideration yeah. when I'm programming for my next class or, or you know, what, whatever I'm, um, I'm doing for that day, whatever yeah. practice or conditioning camp or yeah. whatever I'm doing. Interesting. So uh, what, what else do you recall from uh, the Czech program to be, I, I, I want to use the word revolutionary. What, well, made, what changed you the most? Nutrition component and the holistic component of it personally I, I don't think i'd ever heard about organic foods before okay. that and this this was 2003 yeah 2003 yeah you talked a lot about I took that, that uh, took that early on um i must say um i i i, I very rarely see him these days but when I, I saw him a couple of years ago what i impress him the most is how he really uh, lives it you can you can basically see see the chi around him he's he's so uh, so in line or, or, totally. or whatever so no matter what what else you could say about him he, he's he's practicing what he's preaching yes yeah. i totally get that vibe from him and i'm just, i'm super impacted by his words you know when i, l- I listen to his podcast yeah. a lot living 4d and he's got these series of podcasts of how to improve physically or how, or how to grow spiritually, how to grow physically, emotionally. And he's got all these different podcasts, three hours long. And it's just 
a plethora of information and it's just a bunch of seeds that get planted in my head that I, you know, kind of, I kind of develop over time. And I, you know, learn from other people like you or, you know, people like uh, Tyler Valencia, Eric Leha, you know, any, anybody in this, uh, in this field that's either in unconventional fitness or interested in, in, you know, holistic health or whatever. I just, I got pieced together things that I learn, and it just makes me that much better of a trainer, better of a coach and keeps me interested and keeps me on my toes. Like this is a, you know, especially in this time and day and age where we have access to all this information, like it'd be foolish to kind of just think that you know it all. Shit. There's so much information out there. That it's an incredible time we're living in. Um, yeah, it totally is. Now, how much information do you have of anatomy trained? I have the Tom, book. Tom and I, I read it, you could say, by topic, meaning I haven't read it cover to cover. When something comes up and I, that I need it, uh, I, Me too. I read it. Me too. <laughs> I read in it. Yeah. Um, how do you break down uh, connective tissue and how, you know, looking uh, physiology from that standpoint and how it can help us move better and have more energy and feel better. I think and all I know it mostly from, uh, from the point of view uh, of doing a movement analysis. Uh, for example, let's say a squat or running or bench press or, or lifting or whatever, and then look at, and, uh, mm-hmm. is there too much or too little movement in any joint in any plane as a first step? And then look at if there's, for example, too little movement, uh, what could be tight. And if you identify something that could be tight, then then working on either rolling it with self-myofast release or stretching it. Those are basically the tactics that I'm I'm familiar with. So one thing that are incredibly important and sometimes can give much faster results, uh, which I'm not trained in at this point, is, uh, is using the eyes to improve range of motion. It, uh, a program that you definitely should look into, Danny, on that note is called C-Health, the letter C-Health. So it's, it's, they say it's neurology, and you can... Okay. You can, I've seen some incredible results. Not not that I've done them, but I've, I've seen them. The, the the coaches, the founder, Eric Cobb, worked that way. C-Health, yeah. It's called C-Health? Interesting. Okay, I just... Uh... Yeah, I just yeah. bookmarked it right now on my computer, so it's something I'll have yeah, to look to. The, uh, Interesting. The, okay. The um, biggest, the biggest team home for for any coaches is, is looking at movement and looking for too much or too little movement in any joint in any plane. And then if you identify tightness, then you can stretch it or roll it with the, or whatever uh, tactics that you know at that at that point in time. And that did, I learned this. This is one thing I learned from Czech uh, in terms of looking at people. The phenomenon that we avoid positions of weakness and seek positions of strength. So when you see there's too much or too little movement, you know, the next question is: we say, what are they avoiding or what are they seeking? And these these two uh, aspects of looking at movement are incredibly helpful for me to understand uh, to help someone squat or deadlift or snatch or row or whatever, whatever. Can you yeah, repeat, so they, can you repeat them you again? For too much or too little movement in any joint, in any plane. And then you, you consider, uh, well, now you're seeing what they're doing. 
And then you keep in mind that the body avoids positions of weakness and seeks positions of strength. So I can I can tell you, okay. for example, the other night I, I worked with a client on the bird dog. And uh, do you know the bird dog exercise? Yeah. So he. Uh, I do. He, I do. I do. He was moving away from the support arm. And because I had this in okay. mind, you know, that he might be avoiding weakness. And most people are stronger in their legs than in their arms. I've seen many cases that the reason for this shift is people mm-hmm. try to take uh, weight off their arms. That's the only, that's the main driver. So what we did, I took a step bench and instead of resting on his hand, he rested on his forearms and the problem basically went away immediately. So credit, mm-hmm. when you try to understand, well, how can I correct this? These two, uh, these two thoughts or ideas are they're incredibly useful. Wow! Thank you for You're sharing welcome. that sharing that with me on my podcast. I'm gonna have to, I, I'm gonna have to go back and listen to this podcast a couple of times and just kind of, you know, write down all the books you recommended and you know we can link to that in the show notes. Yeah. Uh, you can tell me through email and I can just you know put them in there for other for others to kind of get introduced to and also all of your workshops. Uh, you know, I, I'm, okay. I'm in Chicago and I gotta. A healthy connection of people in Chicago, which is you know five hours away on a drive to yeah. Toronto. So uh, no, it's it's more than yeah. five hours. I think it's like nine hours. But uh, no, been, nonetheless, in, close enough. I've been no, I don't, not Chicago, um, but we drove down to Arnold's the first year I was here, and I don't we actually don't recall how long it was, but I, that's that direction as far as I'm familiar with. If you're in Chicago, one guy you should hook up with is uh, Jim Kilbasso. Are you familiar with him? He runs Jim something Kilbasso, called the IYCA.org, International Youth Association Conditioning, something okay. like that. Super, and especially if you work with, uh, with kids and teams, and, uh, you would want to talk to him. I do. And you, yeah. he would be great to have on your podcast also. For sure. Uh, he actually how, had how a podcast himself a long time ago, and, and I was on it. And now I, I write articles for his website, the IYCA. Um, they say every second month or something. Great, great guy. Cool. Do you know what uh, what city he's in right no. now? Or like what part he of could Chicago? Also, he, he could be Detroit also. You don't know? Geography is not my, my super, super forte. <laughs> it's okay uh but yeah anybody anybody who's got you know again anyone that you recommend that might be somebody of value again you know it's, i i look at these uh podcasts and these meetings that i take and classes that i teach are all opportunities yeah. for my individual growth which will hopefully you know grow more people that come through my path i think that is how i'm you know developing that this pattern sense. of living my life you know and yeah, the more I learn, the better I, I, you know, the better coach I can become, the better influence I can be. And uh, I don't know, it just makes me feel good. Yeah. And I want to just live that way. You That's know what awesome. Um, anyway, Karsten, um, let's talk a little bit about when your next workshops are. And if anyone is interested in learning more about 
uh, yes to strength and the information that you have. You can find Where it can all people on find a website all called yes to strength.com, which is like www.yesto and then strength.com. And they are in, we have a, a vacation in the beginning of July, but from the end of July and throughout um, the rest of the year, except for December, I teach basically every weekend. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yes to strength.com. Are yeah, you on, yeah, uh, are are you on, on Facebook and Instagram? Instagram the same thing. Uh, the company name, Yes to Strength. And we post, we aim to post regularly. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Karsten, thank you so much for your time. Um, I look forward to crossing paths with you in the future. Um, you know, I'm glad that we got to talk a little bit about, you know, d developing as a coach, developing clients. Uh, I think there's a connection piece there. Um, I really appreciate your time and all your information. Uh, I look forward to, you know, crossing paths in the future. Absolutely, man. Thank you for tuning into the podcast, everybody. Karsten is the man, and I consider myself lucky to uh, have crossed paths with him, even if it was a remote podcast. This podcast has been, you know, for me, a growth opportunity, a networking opportunity. And every time I interact with these people, not only do I gain all this knowledge, I get to share all this knowledge with all the listeners and then other opportunities arise from it. So if you are on the fence about possibly doing something that's a passion project or you're, you know, you're afraid to kind of take that next leap or you're stuck in this safe route, I'll, I'll be honest, I undershot when I said I was going to become a gym teacher like that. I got there and was like, this is it. I feel like I'm bigger, I'm bigger than just teaching uh, in a classroom setting. Like as I cross paths with all these uh, people that that run workshops and are teaching things that are are a little bit more intricate, like joint health, right? You understand how to alleviate pain in the joints. You can teach people to understand and decipher information around them. At, at, better more pure right this is gonna help people uh, choose to behave in a, a positive way or beneficial way that's gonna help them in their environment thus having a more positive ripple effect on the community and the people around them it, it's just that that's how I start to think and that's where um, I want to try to influence people to go ahead and do what they feel strongly about and not take the safe route and it might take some time to kind of you know, think about and, and, and take those thoughts and push them to action. But at least, you know, maybe a possible seed has been planted if you're somebody who listens to the show. And, and that's all I can hope for. And all I can hope for is just keep providing the value. And um, that's it. That's all I can do. Check out my Instagram, Danny Cola Fitness, where I keep trying to provide more value when it comes to unconventional tools, kettlebell, steel mace, body weight, breathing. Uh, becoming more calm and relaxed but also at the same time like you can really build a strong foundation as as Carson and I talk about that's it everybody thank you for listening please do me a favor share the podcast with somebody that you think might find value out of this and um, comment like share all that stuff please
and that didn't sound too desperate. <laughs> Have a great one, everybody. All the love.